and welcome back to the Brothers Brothers Book Club podcast. Repetition, repetition with a reason today. Uh, we are doing one of our Penguin book review episodes. This is when we take the Penguin Little Black Classics collection and we review them one by one. Today is episode 50 on Anthem for Doomed Youth, which is a poetry collection by Wilfred Owen. And it is, again, just to hit it a third time, the Brothers Book Club podcast, because rejoining us, making a triumphant and heroic return it, in really an odd twist, because it's not an episode that we'll talk much about heroism. These poems, uh, we'll, as we'll get into shortly, do away with heroism pretty quickly. But in his heroic return, we've got Ryan on the other end. It is heroic, but I am certainly no hero. But uh, volume 50, it's a milestone. That's right. it, felt, it felt like it was truly meant to be. We've been talking about this for a while, but... Mm-hmm. And it feels good. Back in the saddle. That's right. It was, I think, episode 20 was the last one. We rounded out the kind of, the, we've been chunking these into groups of 20 because I've been making the review episodes or the best ofs. And so, yeah, yeah, we rounded out that first set and then I tackled the second set. And yeah, you now really we're in the midst of the third. Yeah, well, now we're in the you... midst of the third and it was time for the return of the king to the pod. Yeah. To the, <laughs> the king i think uh i think that would have to be you at this point for really carrying the torch and bulking down for the for the last 30 episodes just really well i think yeah, we've we've kept the we've kept work. the lights on here that's for sure but i think I, i'm happy to be the uh the king's you know in like uh those sort of court scenarios there's always like an advisory role i'm happy to be in the background you, you can be king you're you know brother numero uno and i'll just be i'll be content in an advisory position you know like the left hand you know that i feel like in every fantasy story there's like a hand of the king i'll be the hand I don't, who's, you know. who's who's really running the whole show behind yeah. the scenes i think that's i think that's the main i think that's mm-hmm. the main takeaway from this is that yeah definitely calling all the shots uh whispering in the ear so to speak but that's right you're the you're the engine to this locomotive this uh this freight train that's on the well, tracks if that's the case then we're gonna chug right along and jump into this book review then man let's let's get it going there's no better way to reacquaint yourself than to than to just do the thing and we've got some literature here that needs to be reviewed and recommended potentially yeah. We've got some poetry here. This is, again, a poetry collection by Wilfred Owen called Anthem for Doomed Youth, which is also the title of one of the poems. It is a collection of strictly World War I poetry. I have no clue if he wrote other poetry in his life. This collection is just about World War I, presumably, um, written around the time. And I had never read Owen before. I assume you hadn't either, though no, I don't def- know. Definitely not. Okay, yeah, I well, we didn't want to speak for you, of course, um, but yeah, I had never encountered him, though I'd read World War One literature and poetry before, but, you know, if it, it was Owens, I don't recall. Right. The new format, Ryan, as you've reacquainted yourself with here uh, before the episode started, is we like to start with uh, sen- sentence reviews that are similes now, which is a fun tongue twister. I do why don't like you, that. Why don't you just get us warmed up and jump in with yours then? What was reading this uh, collection like for you? I, well, I mean... I think without getting into the obvious uh, comparisons between where we're at now and what Wolf is writing about, or Wilfred, sorry, with World War One, mm-hmm. is that I feel like this is reading this poetry is like talking to someone like a lot older and wiser, like with way more life experience with dealing with real shit than you. And mm-hmm. 
like, you know, if you try and go on, it's like reading this poetry does a pretty good job, at least for me, of bringing me back down to earth, realizing that, you know, the day to day now, what we had compared to well, around 100 years ago. Yeah, a lot has changed and we it's not so bad. I mean, the, what he's writing about in this in this volume of poet poetry is pretty, pretty dark. Yeah, I think it's an odd uh, to have the, is that centennial, I think is the hundred year. I, and I'm never good with those. Um, when you adapt numbers into words, I never get those I, right. I think it's right to me. Yeah, yeah, it's like almost, centennial. yeah we yeah. just passed the centennial of World War One, So it is kind of, you know, the timing on this is kind of, kind of oddly good. Um, yeah. yeah, certainly there's a perspective in here that is brutal, but um, I think could be considered like wise or good, quote unquote, however you want to phrase it. Yeah, my I, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. What was yours? My simile is uh, simpler and maybe cruder, but I'll try and explain it away. I wrote that it was like reading these is like losing your virginity, which I think I, when I was thinking of that comparison, I was thinking back to like the way I um, in high school had this like war kind of fetish going. I think a lot of people... I don't know what it is around. It seems like boys or men of that age where I just got really romantically uh, into and fantasy into war. You know, I collected war movies and watched them a million times and read stories about war and read books, you know, about war and just the whole thing. Yeah. So I think video games, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And the the games really felt secondary because it doesn't, that feels so arcadey and, it's, you know, you're just racking up score, I, but I was, so those existed. And I played those too, for sure. But right. it was more of the, the movies and the reading that was, um, that engaged me, uh, with war at any rate. Yeah. And so, uh, reading something like this though, the reason I, I put it that way and the, the comparison to losing your virginity is that just reading something like this takes a person like me and, and it really gives you a good shake. You know, it's like, you think, you know, about something, um, you know, it's like, you think, you know, about uh, your first sexual encounter, for example, and then you just don't until it happens. Something becomes something you think you understand becomes much more complicated, and you find yourself in a wider world. And your your first exposure, it might not be the best exposure, hopefully uh, in both right. cases, or it might not be right. the most important or whatever. But it certainly opens your world up and kind of shakes you into something. I feel like yeah. reading this could be that for someone. Again, I hadn't encountered any of his poetry, certainly not in my high school age. Um, I feel like all of the war media I encountered I was not celebratory, but certainly had a hint, at least hints of heroism. I think of, you know, saving private Ryan or, and even I was like yeah. obsessed with like platoon and th- things that were certainly more grim, but there, yeah. there were at least like certain successes you could say in a couple of those movies. But um, this stuff is more bleak than, than platoon more bleak than maybe even apocalypse now in a weird way, which is another movie in high school that I watched right. a good number of times, which feels incredible to say that a movie could be more or something could be more bleak than that. I yeah. think it, I think it's, well, yeah, I, th- I, I can agree and kind of see where you're coming from. I feel like when you look back a lot of the glorified stuff, I feel like shows, movies, TV, whatever was world war two, Vietnam certainly has its own Mm -hmm. vibe with a lot of like the pop culture stuff that came out as a result. But I do feel like world war one, when you think about it is definitely like the, you're talking just like bleak, um, like, you Mm -hmm. know, just like a lot of mud, (laughs) just gray, like Uh just surrounded by death, like unprecedented, unprecedented, you know, 
kind yeah. of thing. I don't know. I I could I could see that. It's rightly cited as kind of a turning point, um, a dramatic one too, in terms of warfare perception, all that stuff. And the poets yeah. of World War One and the the literature around it are really quite famous the world over. Did you find any then? connections to the current day i'll say that i wrote down i feel like because we are recording this uh this will be cataloged under our coronavirus episode episodes this is in right. may of 2020 that we're putting this right. down so i feel like it, there are a lot of crude comparisons that jump out but i feel like it'd be kind of crass like I, I just feel like a lot of the disasters that we have that are impending from coronavirus to and the environmental issues to wealth issues you can take your pick yeah, take your pick I, I don't know if any of this writing and the the voice of it and the style would click with anybody today because war has its own immediacy and brutality that translates into these poems. And I just don't think any of it really connects directly. So I just wrote down basically like people who feel hopeless in general, like people who seem to, to veer into hopelessness or maybe even nihilism, which we'll talk about later. I think that, you yeah. know, th those mental swings are pretty safe connections at any age, but topically this stuff is so specific to warfare that it'd be tough to find. Yeah. Direct connection. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, and it's almost like you're going to have to wait so long to see what comes out of this period in time in terms of whether mm -hmm. you're a writer or an artist or, a creative type who's trying to work um, in this case. And I found something real, you know, just thinking about some, some dude who's just like over in France fighting every day, but also, you know, writing, taking time to at least write poetry, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like exercises, creative freedom. It's going to take a lot of time to see what comes out of this um, and be able to draw comparisons to something that, that you know, like world war one that we know, yeah. a lot about and sort of what came after it. But um, I do think the, the, the cheap comparison is what I wrote is like the, you know, the invisible war against f this coronavirus, as opposed to the literal war that Owen is talking about. And I, that's, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the cheap, that's the cheap way out for sure. But that's obvious. That was the obvious and it's, one for me. It's so weirdly, <sighs> I, I don't know. I, we'll get into the quotes in a second that maybe will help us elaborate on why this feels inadequate. But that comparison just seems so wrong. And it's odd to say because, as we know, the coronavirus death numbers are mounting in a alarming, uh, really tragic fashion. And it, I mean, nothing is going to, I don't know if any virus, given our communication lines and science status in today's day and age, I don't know if anything will ever, ever topple like world war numbers in terms of people dying. Cause you'd have to get right. into the like tens of millions to get, to start discussing things like that. So anyway, but no, I, I think I, as far as like, again, dramatic conflict of our time, global things happening, um, th that's probably the best direct connections, but it does. Yeah. And the way he writes about it, you'll notice, um, does all kind of fall short. Now, granted you hand a, a pen and paper to, like an ICU doctor in New York, like this might come out of that. I don't know. I mean, hey. I've, I've yeah. read the firsthand newspaper accounts and seen the videos of like doctors, you know, making their blog videos or whatever, who like work in New York. And I, you know, you could yeah. get poetry like this out of that. I, or if they wrote about their experiences in this way, uh, as again, we'll get into in the quotes that wouldn't stun me or anything. Yeah, I mean, New York is one place. I think the other, I mean, the other comparison that's obvious is it being like a global thing. Mm -hmm. So you could have, you know, you could have something great 
coming out of Italy and that in centuries or, you know, decades or whatever, people mm-hmm. are talking about, you know, this remarkable work or, you know, something like that. But, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's another like really surface level comparison that you could think of like right now. But that's okay. I think the we we like to give you listeners some early connections, even if they're even if they're superficial in a way, just to something to latch onto in the text. Because let's get into the quotes now. Let's say this: I don't know if the nihilism is going to connect with many readers or uh, I, listeners <laughs> or readers. Uh, though I guess it depends on your mental state and your belief system. Was there a quote that you wanted to begin us with today? Anything jump out? I yeah, the, I guess you know. I think if you if the nihilistic side does appeal to you i would i would recommend we'll get into the recommendations at the end but i would recommend getting in and reading the the selection you know in this little black classic but i think some of the most of the stuff that i gravitated to was kind of on like the lighter-hearted side Mm -hmm. i feel like he had a he had a really nice way of even in some of the darker um or you know colder poems in here he had a he i don't know yeah i thought he had a nice way of kind of picking out like some humor well, some little bright spot. how about how about this then a challenge to you, a mid pod or an early mid pod challenge post okay. thing because i agree i think with poetry the swings and imagery line to line can th- there's a lot of that kind of jostling the reader back and forth here's yeah. my challenge though and we can literally i can edit this we, you can literally stop and take however much time you need can you find me one poem that ends uh well peacefully harmoniously or like it's celebratory or celebrating something beautiful or nice like literally one of them uh i mean beautiful or nice or peaceful or or like um the ones i'm thinking of is like there's one where he talks about an effect that this collection had on me is that i began to read the titles with dread because as soon as you see a title, like he has one called Smile, Smile, Smile. And as yeah. soon as you get used to his style and read a title like that, you're like, oh, what the fuck is he going to do? Like, it's yeah. not going to be good. It, no, it's, be it, it's not smiling like we got our new rations in today, Ma. I'm finally eating bread again. It's not going to be. Uh, it's because they're dead at the end. Like the end of that poem is the dead are smiling and their, yeah. their ghostly faces are like caught in smile. Because yeah. they don't have to suffer this anymore. They're they're dead, which is the best thing that could have happened to them. I, and so I, I would, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's a sincere offer. I press you to find any one of these that ends with optimism for the future. Well, no. So there isn't, uh, I don't think there's really much optimism or, you know, leaving things on like a high note. But uh, the one, the one, I think it was the second or third thing that I pulled um, was more so mm-hmm. like the beginning of ending of the letter on page 18. And again, you hear the title, you pretty much, you could pretty much chalk it up, but um, it basically, uh, or it begins, you know, with this guy, June 10th, like writing to his wife, think the world will be over soon. I'm in the pink is what he said. And then basically at the end, the last three lines is like, gah, Christ, I'm hit. Like, d- yep. <laughs> damn, damn your iodine, Jim. Like r- write my, write my wife. Like, yeah, I'm about you. to die. I'm, yeah, I'm I was composing yeah. a letter, and now I, in the middle of this poem, <laughs> yeah. I have been shot. Yeah, don't even try and save me. Just finish, finish this letter that I was writing because I'm, I'm toast. I that was that's kind of the one. I don't, it's something that I gravitated to because there is a good amount of that 
you know, like back and forth, like, Oh, it's good. Yeah. Oh, never, never mind. Like we're being shelled and there, the, you know, there's death all around me. I, that was one that I finished reading and I was like, Oh yeah, that's, um, that, that was a pretty, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. I think I pulled one from 15, a quote from 15 that hits, I think this is the best one I found. I was trying to find a condense, like maybe a stanza that hits you with the density of gloom that he just, he, it's just a barrage of gloom throughout these, all these poems. I feel like these lines do it pretty well. It says the, the poignant misery of dawn begins to grow. We only know war lasts, rain soaks and clouds sag stormy. Dawn massing in the east, her melancholy army attacks once more in ranks on shivering ranks of gray, but nothing happens. Now, granted, the conclusion to that is kind of, and he gets to this in a couple of poems, is like, it's that boredom aspect, that waiting yeah. of like, we've been in these trenches, nothing's happening. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden it, it goes. But I think, I, you know, that those lines I wanted to share just because I think it gives, you know, the listener the best sense of. I don't know what you're buying into here or what, what you're getting into. It's brutal. There's little hints of nihilism of just the pointlessness of everything going on. Um, right. And I, yeah. So I think that is the kind of rhetoric you're going to be staring down I, almost exclusively. Again, there's certainly twists and turns and there, there was again, the most positive poem I could think of was the one either where death met up with him or the smile yeah. one, but both of those were the, the reason their uh, conclusions are so positive is because they're dead. And that's the one way to get out. And it's the one kind of positive release you can have. Yeah, that actually, I, I pulled that one as well. And it's the last poem it's on, I think it's, yeah, it's the last page 50 yeah, yeah. four, um, where they're talking about like death was never an enemy of theirs. We laughed at him. We leagued with him old chum. And, uh, oh, yeah. like you never, you never hear him like, um, that he makes light of death, I think quite mm-hmm. a bit throughout, but he, the one thing that's like really hard hitting is like, yeah, the, the boredom, the, like the gray cold, like driving rain, like, like wet boots, just like, just mm-hmm. slogging through transfers, you know, like that's what that, I think that's what kind of breaks you. Yeah, I think, too, there were there were moments that I found touching and not just not heavy in the bogged down by the sort of incessant nature of the sadness here. But I thought there were moments that were kind of touching. The other one I pulled that or the one I pulled, that I think, represented that is from 20. And it's a lines that say, but let my death be memoried on this disc, which I think, by the way, he's talking about dog tags, basically. They they didn't call them that, but it's clear that that's when they, they, they must have been invented at this time or something. I think that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. I actually, I think they existed in the civil war too. I don't remember, but he's talking about dog some sort of identification. Yeah. Yeah. For the dead. Yeah. 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 So it's, but let my death be memoried on this disc where it's sweet friend inscribe no date nor deed, but let thy heart heartbeat kiss it night and day until the name grow vague and wear away. Yeah, so and, basically uh, wear it forever, yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, again, it, it has the hints of sorrow at the end that it will eventually fade. No one's going to remember me. Um, when when you die, m- my memory will also die, and so it's going to go. But it is, at least it's a sweet notion of just don't, you know, don't just think back on my deeds or obsess over them. Just keep me with you, you know, in the o- most honest way. I think it has kind of acceptance to it, maybe not in the most negative way, but ultimately when you look at that it still ends in the same it's a pretty touching way yeah Yeah, it's it's pretty grim ending but um i think some of the lines in that one were 
a, a little bit more generous uh, in terms of its, I don't know, positivity, if that can be said. Yeah, the, the poetry, I think, if I were so bold to, to say. Yeah. What about you? Any other quotes jump out? I had one more that I want to throw at the listeners, but anything else for you? Those, those, uh, I think those are the only ones that I pulled out. Okay. I, I had one more just to, again, give a sense of style here is the quotes. This is usually when we're trying to do that in the most depth. Uh, the it's kind of dense. The the poetry is kind of illusion heavy. Like there's references to like King Arthur and there there's uh, references to other poets like Keats and stuff. So there, you know, in terms of the literary part, it, it can be dense. Um, the lines I pulled in this one are from the very first poem on page one, which upon Wikipedia ing, which is a verb now, this dude, right. uh, apparently this is like his most famous poem. Also this collection that Penguin put together had, I think like his five most famous poems in it. So this is a pretty good sampling. But anyway, yeah. um, in this one poem, it says, For after spring had bloomed in early Greece, and summer blazed her glory out with Rome, and autumn softly fell a harvest home, a slow grand age and rich with all increase. But now for us, wild winter, and the need of sowings for new spring, and blood for seed. Which... Uh, you know, the way you, you throw in like three civilizations there and then there's these um, the archetypes of the seasons and what that means. Yeah. And then there's this farming. And the, I think that quote, again, it has the kind of just like it ends with the violence uh, that you'd expect from a lot of this poetry of his like grim portrayals. But it's right. also more grandiose, I think. And a lot of his poetry comes across in that kind of classical way of it, it does all the stuff that a lot of that poetry does. There's illusions. It can be dense. It's meditates on things, but also it's pretty formal. I think. I think that's a, I think that's a compliment to the writing is taking yeah. something as grim and as bleak as, as this and kind of elevating it. I think um, it's a compliment to his style. And I, I guess that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one of the, I, I, I think that was a great, quote to Paul um it it kind of sums it up and that's one of the nice things to kind of hang on and I think too you know for listeners curious about reading the work at that quote I mean is that really so hard to parse like the seasons are pretty clear archetypes like either that stuff is not that hard to misinterpret like spring and summer are the good times and then winter is the harsh it's <laughs> and they're in yeah. the winter they're in the winter of war and they're literally giving their blood so that another season can happen you know yeah. and, spring. and then and then yeah. allusions to Greece and Rome are like the classic, you know, quote unquote, Western civilization references to um, kind of apex times of democracy or governance or whatever. You can interpret that, I guess, how you will. But it's pretty clear. Yeah. I don't think any of it is or... none, none of it is brutally dense. Um, it's we're not this is not T.S. Eliot here. We're not unpacking like Sanskrit and doing really wild shit here. So I think in terms of that, it, it's maybe um not approachable in the easiest way, but you know, not the densest thing either. Let's move right. to the uh, literary corner. Then I saw you left this one blank, Ryan. Is there anything uh, literary you'd like to teach the people about today or should I jump I, into mine? I, I think this is more uh, literally your literary corner. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I definitely jumped to some other sections. Okay. Uh, when we were, when we were That's fine. The outline, but. Yeah, I go can for it, man. I can easily carry this one, this burden on my shoulders. Um, this is the part of the pod when we like to do some educational bit, even if it's a small little note. Uh, this literary corner, I chose the term nihilism, which jumped out to me 
many times while reading and finishing some of these poems. Um, this is from the Penguin Literary Dictionary. Nihilism is a term invented by Turgenev, who is a Russian author, I think, in his novel Fathers and Sons. It denotes a radical or extreme radical attitude which denies all traditional values and not infrequently moral values as well. Nihilists believed that, or I guess believed maybe, that the only way to achieve anything was to destroy more or less completely all prevailing systems and few writers were sympathetic to nihilism, uh, which was kind of a Russian intellectual movement, but became a little bit broader. I think right. I think he undercuts his own nihilism at times a, a little bit, but at the same time, he's clearly trying to obliterate many traditional institutions of war, like sacrifice, heroism, the nation state, and that you should be, you know you should fight for your nation or country. There's these like bedrocks of wartime motivation that people relied on and rallied around, and I, he's explicitly trying to destroy many of those here, or at least disillusion well, people against them. Yeah, I I did. I actually marked the um, that part. I think it's on three. Mm-hmm. The, the last line, the uh, the Latin, like the dolce et decorum est pro patria mori. It's like mm-hmm. that's the last thing you want to tell like the the new generation. It's like an honorable thing to die for your homeland or your country. Right. It's like right. The, yeah, the nihilism is uh, rampant. Um, yeah. And yeah. You know, the only thing I'll add to that is. Uh, you know, they, they care about nothing. It's like, <laughs> that's yeah. The Lebowski <laughs> quotes here could be, yeah, you could throw not, them in. Not during Nam, of course, but yeah, it's like, man, I, well, a nihilist, I think, you know, being anti-war could be about as nihilist as you get. And it, yeah. it overlaps in some ways with, well, anarchism is more governmental related, but it, yeah. And there's nothing really about governments here. Again, he casts aside the country designations pretty, pretty quickly. And it's clear yeah. he, again, they, they have more camaraderie with death than with their like brothers from whatever country they're from. In this case, England. He yeah. that that poem it makes that point of view pretty clear that he's he, the real comrade he has is death, and that's the only person they they that's the chum. That's the only person they get along with. Yeah. yeah. What do you think then? As we move into the reviews, and we will score this uh, this collection here in a second. Before that, though, we're gonna do the Russell French in memoriam. What's good about it segment? This is when we say at least one complimentary thing before scoring and recommending. Though I think, I don't know, my score is going to be somewhat positive today. Um, What did you find to be good about reading this? I think we've touched on it a little bit. um, But in in short, I think um, when when you look at the collection as a whole, I think it's, like you said, it's it's pretty grim. It's dark. it's, um, It's a little cold. But I do think that the nicest thing that I took away from it is that he really sneaks in these little moments of, of beauty. I think he's able to describe like the, like a touch of sleep that a soldier can get or like a flower in a field or like a breeze. I don't know. He has a really nice way of kind of like taking the good and the bad um, and giving you equal parts, even though, you know, the, the subject is so heavy and everything around him is, um, kind of just devastation and horror, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There was, yeah, yeah, there was, there was just some really nice touches of, um, I guess making things a little bit more relatable to someone reading it in 2020, which, you know, what else, what else can you say to something that was written almost a hundred years ago? Yeah. And, and, 
contains the brutality of event that we've really never experienced. Even the wars of our lifetime are fought in such a different, just outrageously different manner that for for our perspective anyway, it seems something we'll never be able to understand a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty foreign notion. Um, you have to, or, or at least, because there's been our anyway. This is getting this is the net on this is widening. But I was just going to say that like certainly you read about civilian accounts about things in the last ten years in Middle East, and it's not that it's a foreign notion to the world. It's just that the the way we've grown up and the wars that have been fought in our lives that just do not have the do not resonate it with this language in this way precisely. Though right. again, not to acknowledge that stuff could not be written or said. I found a good thing about it to be the the rhyming weirdly, which here is a backhanded compliment that I can pay to it is I didn't notice, which and it is formal yeah. poetry. I think there is some clear rhyming scheme going on. But and I, granted, I wasn't reading this stuff out loud because I don't think the subject matter lends to that. I don't think anyone's going to be like itching to read this out loud to themselves or enjoy it, you know, rolling off the tongue. It's pr- it's pretty sulky and brutal. So I don't I don't think you'd bring this to your poetry slam. Uh, maybe you would. You know, good for you. I'd yeah. Go for it. <laughs> but I think, and so, yeah, a lot of the formalistic elements that I've really hit hard on this pod before in episodes did not bother me here at all. Like, I had a pretty neutral reaction to a lot of it, and frankly, I didn't even notice it some of the time. I was wondering about that. It's It wasn't yeah. as, like, it wasn't as, like, school, mm-hmm. what, was it, what were we calling it? It was, like, school Sing song. It's sing not song. a sing-songy. Yeah, it it really wasn't. Yeah, um, some slant rhymes, um, and there are some there are some ABAB or stuff. I mean, I it, it's not that I didn't notice it at all. It's just that it's so infrequent or not as heavy handed. And I, I, some of the subject matter in the other diction going on too is so intense that I think it just doesn't distract me in the same way. Yeah, yeah, I could see that, and I yeah, it, I think it was a positive. Definitely. Let's jump to ratings then. We review on a three-point only scale. One means do not read this. Three means you must read this. And then two is the qualified recommendation right in the middle, which is maybe read this. First episode back in a while, Ryan. What are you going to rate this? What should the people, what should they do? I So I think we talked about it before we jumped on and did the podcast, but mm-hmm. I told you I was in the zone. I accidentally synced this uh, this little black classic with um the movie 1917 okay yeah i think came out last year um just caught it by chance last week and a wild coincidence wild but kind of put me in the zone put me in the i think the Mm -hmm. right kind of mood and headspace um i think if you're just approaching this blind with you know it it might lean closer to a one but Mm -hmm. i think I think after I finished it and like the, I, like the, the visuals and everything I was able to construct f- at, from reading it, it was closer to a three. So I settled on a two. I thought it was, um, sure. Yeah. It was, it was right down the middle. Some classic, some nice classic visual poetry, some dark stuff though. Yeah. I settled on a two as well, though. I will say I was surging for a three, but it feels my my new thing with the scores is I think I'm taking into account imaginary listeners more than ever before. And who, you know, my scoring system might change next week. Who knows? But this was one where I, maybe for me, it's a three, 
uh, because the cynicism and brutality of it struck a chord with stuff I had encountered like later in college. And anyway, right. it just, a lot of it, a lot of it did hit notes that I, about war literature that I enjoy now. Right. I think though, for most people just encountering this cold, it, a two is a very safe and I think a, the best score it's qualified. If you don't know what you're getting into in terms of tone and topic, this would be like a real shock to just pick this up. And then I, most people would probably just immediately throw this down. I, not many people, um, though I can't count myself among them, read literature to be challenged in, in explicitly or like really aggressively. I, I try and yeah. do, you know, a couple reads. I try and read in a balanced way, right? Where I'm like, this is just for fun. And then sometimes I'll pick up something that it's like, this is going to be hard or maybe distressing or something. I, but that's, you know, that's my enjoyment stuff. And I think if you just go into this knowing, I mean, I guess maybe even saying it's about World War One is enough for people to be like, okay, I have to True. mentally... Uh, gird myself for reading war poetry, especially that war. Yeah. It, yeah. Totally possible. But Bef- uh, before then we, we close out, let's do our 1917 ratings. What's your, what's your 1917, the film rating? Honestly, I would say again, a two, I mean, parts yeah. of it were cool. This is super shallow, but um, parts yeah. of it were cool. Cinematography I think was justifiably good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I yes, again, straight down the middle. That would be so. that would be a one two balance for me. That was weirdly the final film I saw in theaters before coronavirus hit. I saw oh, that no like shit. in January or something. Well, yeah, I don't see it. I don't go to the theaters for a ton of movies. I, I watch a good amount, but I don't go to the theaters. But I, yeah. I knew you know the way it was filmed was so noteworthy and uh, all the technical stuff around it. Um, yeah, I found the movie to be its devotion to that. I think made it such a worse movie like it was there was, kinda, well, it was like it was just one note it yeah was, and there well, were, it, linear i guess my, it was just like kind of or just like kind of flat well and the flatness to me i came out of it with the the clearest impression that i had never seen such a thing a visual thing that felt so much like being in a museum and it was as stale as that like i, I like museums a lot but museums don't come to life literally you have your brain has to fill it in yeah. And it really felt that way to me. Like he basically had five amazing museum shots. And then for some reason said, I must make this a one track again. I, I guess it was just the challenge of it. I, I don't think the form added literally anything to the movie. Like hmm. the, it, he could have done long shots and not been so <laughs> devoted to so the, devoted. Yeah. It, it seemed Continue odd it. to me. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it is like, it is pretty remarkable. You don't really, at least I don't see a lot of like things done stylistically that's similar, but mm-hmm. I, I only, again, another comparison, maybe we save this for a supplemental pod, but uh, did you see Dunkirk? Yeah. Which Dunkirk. I would say I liked more. For, really? Yeah. I, for, for a couple yeah. of reasons, but yeah, I kind of I teeter the other way. Like okay. I thought, I thought Dunkirk was kind of like, um, I mean, yeah, sure. It's, it's brilliant. It's a gorgeous film. Yeah. Uh, sound, everything, you know, really impactful, but very comparable films. Um, yeah. And there is, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't understand the, it's, it's a very aggressive, uh, directorial move to, to make the whole thing, you know, uh, it's not literally one shot. Of course there's edits, but it, it's supposed to look like it. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, there and there are just scenes in it that I feel like I guess it's um it's that classic advice I give to middle school writers. This is the most 
like annoying way to, for me to phrase this, but I think it's similar. It's like any technique you develop ever in your art form, you know, whether it's writing or directing, it's you should use a myriad, a myriad techniques, but all of them sparingly. And it's like, this is just him pushing this one, you know, it's like long shots basically like with, with, yeah. you know, aggressive or no, like acrobatic camera movement, but let's make right. it the whole thing. And it's like, if you abuse one cool stylistic thing, it isn't cool once you do it for the hundredth time, right. <laughs> you know, it's, and again, I teach that to, or taught that to like middle school writers, right? It's like, yeah, transitions are cool, but if every sentence starts with, however, also it's like, you're going to wear them down and it just becomes bad writing. Like yeah, I, really, I had a very really similar point. reaction to this where it was just like, there were a couple one shots in it that I thought were incredible. Like the trench scene at the beginning, just like that kind of wandering through the trenches feeling very claustrophobic. Yeah, I, that, they're, I thought they're that going scene was amazing. Into that gigantic pit, like filled with limbs. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible, intense. But then, you know, again, the devotion to just keep it going and never stop right. feels there. It made the space of the movie feel odd to me as well. Like, how did yeah. that entire like train of soldiers come up on them out of surprise? Like that doesn't make sense just spatially <laughs> yeah. or you would have assumed they, anyway, I, I don't it, need it to does. nitpick, but no, I, well, I think we could wax on about it forever, but um, yeah, it's odd. That's, that's for another, another but day. It, another pod. It's, the, it's the right pod to discuss that on. Cause yeah, that's, it is the great war quote unquote and the same war. Any final thoughts on the Owen collection today, Ryan, before we wrap up? Um, I think, no, I think we've exhausted, I think we've exhausted all, uh, all thoughts. Fantastic. Well, we hope, uh, listeners that you have an idea of what kind of poetry you're into reading this week. If it's a world war one weekend, then Hey, you can't do a lot worse than this. This yeah, is so pretty good. Yep. Yeah. And if you're just looking for a bit of sunshine in your life, then my God steer very clear, very, yeah. very clear of this, yeah. uh, person's poetry. Pick um, up another book. Definitely, literally anything else would would yeah. do. Probably, I can't think of many things more bleak. But you know, that depends on where you're at mentally. Well, it's uh, a mm-hmm. it's a pretty fantastic segue into uh, into volume fifty one. Uh, the Mozart, shall we, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Amadeus Mozart. That's my right, Mozart's father. And it's co- correspondence next week, so we're jumping back to some nonfiction. Got yeah. some Mozart coming up, letters, yeah, to his dad. I had only peeked at the first one, so that's, to me right now, totally cold. But I do look forward to checking in with that one. Perhaps we can uh, rope Ryan back in on that episode. I think uh, I think the king, the proverbial king, is back. I oh, think boy. Make regular thing, I know. Exciting. Gracious brace yourselves okay well we have that to look forward to next week folks and until then we will see you between the classics